Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 143 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved while you are here. So thanks for joining the podcast and thanks for being here today. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to help, the best way is by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you may listen to the show. We have some plans for the show over the next six months and we're trying to build the audience a little. So the best way of doing that is just simply by rating and reviewing us on your podcast platform. It gets more people to the show. It gets higher up in the search listings. And at the end of the day, that's what the show's here for, is to get people off the sofas, get them on the saddles, get them hitting the tree get out get enjoying themselves and join this amazing mtb community that we have so if you guys would help the show that way i would be really really appreciative of that it's great to grow the show organically like that we don't rely on advertising or anything so if, if we can all get together and do that and help the show grow a little over the next six months i'll be able to implement the plans i've got and that we can go from there and make this thing a real solid podcast for the Irish market and the global market obviously because it's more of a lifestyle podcast than anything to be honest. So thanks for all your help and thanks for doing that. I do appreciate it. So on to today's show. Today we are welcoming back James Wilson aka bikejames.com. He's been on the show a couple of times but he's got his own podcast and listening to one of his recent episodes, I was blown away. I actually listened to it twice. And it's kind of a different aspect on things where he's talking about riding for a lifetime. And if we can do that and how best to go about that. You know, it's a great concept. Uh, It's kind of covers the best practices in the gym, the best practices on and off the bike, and how we can put all these things together to help make us better riders for the longevity of the thing. Just not for the next race or the next year, but for a lifetime and be able to do this and enjoy mountain biking and the trails and the local communities and everything for a lifetime. So we chat about this and everything you need to do that and he lays down the best practices and how to get your body right, your mind right, on and off the bike, everything like this. So it's a really good episode. I really enjoyed James's podcast. I'll put a link to that on the show and go and check that out. Um, it's, it's very, very good. There's a lot of information in this episode now. It's a little longer than normal, but there's a lot of information in here to consider and to implement and to practice in your daily training and, and riding routines. Um, so it's jam-packed with loads of stuff. So without further ado, let's get James on the podcast and let's all hopefully be able to ride for a lifetime. Hi, James. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast, or should I say welcome back, because you've been on a couple of times, but how's things with you, bro? Things are well, Gareth. I'm really looking forward to uh, coming back on the podcast and uh, some knowledge, but uh, yeah, personally, things are are doing uh, all right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, you've been on the podcast before. You were on, can you believe this, right? You were on episode 16. Can you believe that? We're now Man, 140 yeah. or something. So, <laughs> yeah, time times and episodes fly. <laughs> yeah, cool. And you're on then 
about bikejames.com, which is your website, and we were chatting about mm-hmm. uh, a few of your your kind of training programs and stuff there and about getting stronger and fitter for the trails and all, um, which was cool. And then you were on episode 25 chatting about your pedal company, Pedaling Innovations, about the Catalyst pedal and all, which, believe it or not, right, individually is the best downloaded episode for the podcast. Oh, really? That's awesome. The flats yeah. and clip list debate never goes away, bro. Never goes away. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But there's a who are uh, curious about the the catalyst pedal. Like we do very little advertising, but we we sell a, a decent amount of pedals, and uh, definitely podcasts like yours um, are are one of the reasons because it it has an interesting story. And like once people hear the story and all the the rationale behind it um it uh it makes it a little more easier to 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 check it out but yeah mm. no, it, but yeah i appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about that but uh, glad that it's getting you some exposure uh as well just through the pedal yeah cool man cool now i listened to your podcast on the writing for a lifetime concept i actually listened to it twice because i found it very interesting because I'm in my 40s, you're in your 40s, we're getting to that age now where knees are starting to get sore, lower backs are starting to yeah. get sore. Yep. And I love the way you led into the podcast and you chat about how the pros train, what they show on Instagram, etc. And how that's really just not what we should be really doing as weekend warriors. You know, these guys are training for their, as you put it, their mortgage payments and everything else. Um, and you have a great background too, because people that haven't listened to the first podcast I've done with you, we went into your background and we chatted about you had trained Arn Gwynn back in the day and stuff yep. like that. Um, so you know what you're talking about. You know how these guys train and how we should be training. Um, and you've come up with this idea then, this writing for a lifetime concept. So I know there's plenty to it. Can you take us through it, where the idea came from, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, like a lot of uh, lessons in life, it actually came through a lot of personal mistakes and, uh, you know, training, um, using certain methods and, and, uh, things that again, like you see the pros using, like pushing that, uh, the envelope and training, um, and, and just kind of over the years on a long enough timeline, you know, one, everybody's survivability rate, uh, is zero. And then two, any little mistakes that you're making, over time are going to add up. And so like when you're in your twenties, you know, you're, you're, and you're working out, you, you just don't have enough time accumulated for little mistakes to add up. And so once you get a few decades of training under your belt, and like I personally, man, you know, I started working out, you know, around like 13 years old. So I've got over three decades of continuous, uh, strength training experience. And so that's a long enough time to where things add up. And so that's where, you know, like you were mentioning earlier, like knees start to hurt, lower back starts to hurt, shoulders start to hurt. Like that's what that is, is as we get older, these little things eventually add up and they do start to cause problems. And so the, the, 
you know, I, I actually I got the concept from a guy named Steve Maxwell, who's a, a fitness coach and a, a jujitsu coach. And I had gone to, uh, he called it a training for a lifetime, but it was like, you know, training for jujitsu for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I got introduced to the, the, the ramping isometrics, which led me on a whole, uh, journey. But that was kind of part of it as well was, you know, he's got 50 years experience. And as you know, he was saying like, look, man, I've done all this stuff. I've made all these mistakes and that's, this is why I like isometrics. And so, um, so anyway, so he was kind of the going to that camp and, and getting exposed to those things is what really got me thinking in this uh, specific pathway. And I started to realize that a lot of things that I had been doing over the last few years had been headed in this direction because I just started to realize that a lot of the high intensity, uh, you know, heavy lifting stuff that you see uh, pros doing is just not sustainable. And I, I think that that's really the important word that people have to uh, apply to what they're doing is, is this sustainable? Like, can I do this not only today, but tomorrow and a year from now and five years from now and 10 years from now? And obviously, you know, with some modifications with, you know, for compensating for age and wear and tear, but you know, if you're, if you're looking at some high intensity training program and you know that you're just destroyed after every workout, like, you know that you're not going to be able to sustain that for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so anyways, yeah, that's really kind of where the, the concept came from. And, and just, you know, like you said, working with the, the pros um, on and just really like hundreds of riders personally and thousands of riders through my, my programs and, and online training and stuff and just uh, seeing the difference between what you would do to kind of push that edge a little bit in the in the name of performance and where you would if that's not your goal like you know like I say like if you're paying your mortgage based on your performance then it makes sense to make these sacrifices in the moment uh but if you don't like does it really make sense like maybe it does maybe it doesn't but a lot of people don't even really know to ask themselves that question and they don't mm. even understand that there are other alternatives uh, to this other than this continual, uh, just high intensity, hard training that just breaks your body down and, and really just is not sustainable over the long run and and not necessary for the vast majority of riders out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And like those guys, like those guys at the top, James, would they be, you know, how often would they be pushing themselves in the gym really, really hard like that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other thing is like, People, you know, they get their impression of this through the media and then the media is looking for the coolest stuff to show. <clears throat> so they're going to show like I, I make the example if you're uh, a UFC fan and they have these, uh, you know, uh, shows showing the fight camp leading up to the, the fight. And, you know, they're doing these crazy extreme things. But this is like, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the fight camp. You know, this is the the tip of the iceberg. Like you're not seeing all the basic stuff that they're doing before this. And so that's the same thing with uh, pro riders. Like they're going to have these times where they're pushing the edge uh, and they're they're trying to push their performance in the gym. But it's it's you know, what you don't see is all the hours of, of just the basic work that they put in and not only like in their training program at that point in time, but prior to that. You know, just all of the basics that they put in 
before they ever became uh, a pro that people knew and started trying to follow what they were doing. So you build this foundation of the basics and, and that allows you to more safely push the edge, but you don't do it all the time. And so, you know, like you were uh, asking, you know, realistically within a week, you know, most people have one, maybe two hard workouts in them a week. And I know people like hate to hear that, right? Like they're like, you know, there's no pain, no gain. If you're not pushing yourself to the edge every time you train, what's the point? But the reality is, is your body can only recover from so much. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you're with the, even within a week, you're going to see pro riders have like vary the intensity of their workouts between their strength training and their cardio training. Like they're not just going in the gym and smashing themselves every time they go in there and train. Uh, and, and then when you look at their programs from a yearly basis and even, even bigger, you're, or, you know, uh, you're, you're going to see that, that pattern as well of the, you know, yes, they do do these, push themselves and use these, uh, you know, high intensity techniques and stuff. But, you know, really if they're doing it smart, it is selective, but the message that gets, uh, you know, disseminated to the, the average rider is that, man, you need to be just smashing yourself every time you train and every time you ride or else you're not getting anything out of it. And so, uh, but yeah, that's where, that's just not sustainable. Uh, and even pros know that. That's why they don't, they don't do that all the time. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's a, that's a good, good question. Good point. Yeah. Because I think that's what we all think as riders, right? Like these guys are hitting the gym hard, they're hitting the trails hard, and if you want to be anywhere close to that level or improve, you have to be doing the same, because that's what you see. And if the pros are training that way, they're doing it, that's the right thing to do, right? So that's the way we should all be training. But we we can't do that, and it's not going to really make us that much better on the bike, is it, if we're going to run and hitting the gym at 110% every time? No, no, like, you know, the really the best performance enhancing tactic that you can have is consistency and longevity. Like after you do something for 10 years, you know, if you have some sort of focus and you're working at it, like you're going to be pretty good. And so like people get, uh, I think your average rider gets a little, uh, I think anxious and this is, uh, man, I've talked to a couple riders about this, but um, I've been doing uh, a lot of jujitsu over the last like seven, eight years or so. And one of the things that I think that they do a really good job of in jujitsu is explaining to people when they first start that this is a long journey. It's going to be years before you really feel like you know what you're doing here. Like, just relax, man. Relax. Like, nobody expects anything out of you as a white belt or blue belt. You know, it's just like, it's not, it's going to be like three to five years before you really feel like you're starting to figure things out. Mm. And it's going to be 10 plus years before, like, you've got this mastered. And even then, that's a subjective term. You know, there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. But instead, you know, like, when new riders come in, it's this pressure to perform right off the bat. You know, if, if you're not uh, improving and you're, you're still like last in your riding group after six months, like something's wrong and you know, you need a new bike, you need to go to a skills camp, you need to like do some sort of high intensity training program. That's really going to kick your butt and get you into shape quick, you know, but there's this, this, uh, um, I guess kind of, uh, like unspoken pressure 
on new riders that, man, like you need to be performing pretty well, pretty quickly. And if you're not, then something's wrong. And I think that that, uh, that feeds into this, um, high intensity, uh, you know, training program stuff because people want fast results now rather than understanding like, man, you know, I got years at this, so I need to look at a training program that I'm going to be able to do for years. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so yeah, I think that that's a, you know, a good point, but I think that's kind of some of the, the unfortunate psychology that goes into, you know, why people are, are looking at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I also listened to another podcast you were chatting about and it was how to, or what to do over the whole COVID thing and being inside. And you were chatting about your gym stuff and that you should never injure yourself at the gym. Now, I know I have done that. And I know plenty of people that have done that. Uh, but it's such, you know, what you the way you were saying it and putting it about the gym was so good because you should never, ever be in the situation where you injure yourself training at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I will say up front that uh, I joke with my clients about this as a do as I say, not as I do kind of operation because uh, I don't always take my own advice. And so I have injured myself as as well in the gym. Um, and like you said, I think a lot of people have and it's it's easy because it is easy to push yourself at human nature. If you have any competitive, you know, juices at all it's easy to kind of push yourself either personally or if you got a training buddy or something like that but you know once you've done that a few times and you realize that oh you know when i'm sitting on the couch it don't matter how fit i am because i can't ride and if i can't ride i'm not getting better at riding and i mean right now i'm not getting better much at all you know i may be doing what i can to work around the injury but you know i'm not really improving at this point and so uh, yeah, that kind of feeds back into that sustainability and, and consistency over the long term uh, being, you know, the best thing at, at you know, enhancing your performance mm-hmm. is, you know, if you're, you know, injuring yourself in the gym on a semi-consistent basis and having to take time off the bike, then that's going to add up over the long term. And, you know, again, like, you know, the you have somebody who's working out a little bit harder and pushing themselves a little bit more. But, you know, it comes at the expense of getting injured, like, you know, once or twice a year and having to take a little time off. And then you got somebody who's just got the slow and steady approach. You know, they, they don't ever really get hurt. They're just always able to train, always able to ride. And over the course of five years, like I guarantee you that's going to add up. And, you know, it's uh, the the old turtle and the, the hare uh, myth or, or, or fable with that, whatever the hell it is. Um, like really, I mean, that's, that's it. Like that's, you know, it applies to things like that in life is mm-hmm. that, that being consistent and doing things that allow you to be consistent over the long run are really what's going to win the race rather than just like, you know, flash fast or, you know, fast flashy stuff, uh, mm-hmm. that looks great on Instagram. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 at this point, I definitely do not push it to get injured in the gym. I'm just, I'm just so over it. I'm so past being hurt because I had some number in my head or something like that. And I've, I've realized that there, there are no baby kittens that are going to die as a direct result of me not 
you know, doing exactly how many reps I had in my program or something like that. You know, like <laughs> me, me being able to, to train the next day is more important than me hitting those, those, uh, those, those preconceived numbers. But, um, yeah, I once had a coach tell me that, you know, it's, he's, and that's, that was the point he knows like some people, they're going to push themselves. If he puts down, like, you're going to get five sets of five with this weight. Like I'm going to get five sets of five with that weight and mm-hmm. uh come hell or high water and but that's not your goal as an athlete one uh and and two that's how you get hurt and so like he explained to me like man if you don't get all these reps like no baby kittens are gonna die so just relax I'm mm-hmm. like, okay all right man i'll remember that yeah. <laughs> and, and it's good because you know as you said on your podcast there's a difference between training for short-term performance gains and training for longevity and it works really nice into what we're going to chat about here. You're writing for a lifetime concept. And you have three pillars that are kind of involved in that. Can you take us through those? <clears throat> yes. So you have uh, the first is sustainable training, um, you know, uh, off of the bike. The second is sustainable riding tactics. Like, you know, what are you doing on the bike? And then finally, you have efficient movement, uh, and that's both on and off the bike. So if you have those things, if you have, you know, sustainable training tactics, sustainable riding tactics, and you have efficient movement, you're focusing on efficient movement, both on and off the bike, then you're going to have a really strong foundation that you're going to be able to build on and is going to be able to sustain you for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the sustainable fitness training then, um, is that the four cardio quadrants that you talk about? Kind of, you know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I'm i a fan of Dan John, who's a, a pretty well-known strength coach in, in strength coaching circles. And he likes to use quadrants as ways to explain things. So I'm pretty sure I've been influenced by his use of quadrants on my love of quadrants. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I... Um, the, there's a couple ways the, the, the four cardio quadrants is definitely one, uh, that you look at and, and the, and that is, you know, you create the, the quadrants are created by taking two, uh, things. So when you're looking at cardio training, there's two different ways you can look at it and then you can intersect those things to create these quadrants. And so the first one is, is this mono movement or multi-movement you know, mono movement means there's one movement that you're repeating over and over and over again. So like running a marathon would be a great example of a mono movement, uh, activity. Um, you know, riding uh, a century on a road bike, that's going to be a really good example of a mono movement activity. Like you're just, there's a lot of pedaling. Yes, there's some other things going on, but mostly what you're doing is pedaling. You can look at the other extreme. And so something like, you know, uh, a downhill race, would be, uh, or like an enduro, uh, racing in an enduro stage or something like that would be a multi-movement sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you're, you're using a lot of different movements and a lot of different combinations, uh, to, to, uh, you know, do what you need to for that sport. And that makes a difference, right? Like how you train for those things definitely matters. It, you know, you, if you have a mono movement sport, then you can use like mono movement training, like, like just cyclical, repetitive movement training and that's going to transfer over very well but if you have a multi-movement sport and you're using that you know uh, a lot then it's not going to transfer over as well and this is one of the reasons why 
like people that rely real heavily on road riding based uh, programs don't, you know, if uh, this isn't, again, man, I've been at this long enough. Like it's not as, as bad as it used to be, but man, when I started doing this, like your average downhill racer followed a road riding based program. They put in an insane amount of base miles and, you know, they weren't doing like they train like a road rider. And unfortunately, you didn't see good results from that. There was a problem. You didn't see a transfer and it was this dirty little secret. But, uh, you know, you did what you thought you needed to do. And so over time, intensity intervals, using strength training, uh, things like, um, you know, uh, the, the kettlebell and combo, uh, you know, di- using uh, different movements like doing a clean to a press to a lunge. You know, that's like a, a, a an example of like a multi-movement type uh, cardio uh, or strength training exercise that you could do. But, you know, over time we've seen the, the uh, more specific um, applications of cardio training to our sport of mountain biking. And that's that's great, right? But it's just, it's kind of, we still need to think about that when you're trying to consider your, your, your training. And then along with that, you've got a high intensity or high tension and low tension cardio. And this is a really important concept for, for riders to understand because again, like low tension cardio is where you don't require a lot of tension in the body in order to keep the pedal spinning. And that's different than where you do have to create a lot of tension. So if you think about the difference between just like sitting on, you know, spinning on the road, nice and easy, right? Not a lot of tension that you're having to create in your system to, to keep those pedals spinning versus standing up and grinding up a technical tough uh, climb on your mountain bike. That's mm-hmm. a totally different tension uh, in your body and your body fuels those different levels of tension differently. And so, you know, if you don't work on that high tension cardio side, uh, then, and, and you work a lot on that low tension cardio side, again, you're not going to see that transfer. Again, that speaks to why like, you know, road riders are more of a low tension, like that's more of a low tension sport than mountain biking. Like you can't argue that they would fall in the exact same place on the high tension, low tension continuum, right? Like, you, you know, wherever you want to argue that they, that they land, they're not going to land in the same place. And road riding is going to be more low tension than especially like downhill racing would be or like riding an enduro stage or, or something. You know, and I'm pointing to like, you know, specific racing examples because people can, uh, I, I, you know, think about that. They're kind of extreme examples um, to for people to, to think about. But, uh, you know, again, the um, the idea is that if you if you look at the tension demands of what you do and you know, if you're, if you don't need a lot of that low tension cardio, then you don't need to spend hours and hours and hours doing a lot of that low tension cardio stuff. And so, uh, it allows people to save time and energy, uh, you know, devote more energy to riding their bike by understanding, you know, a little bit more specifically, like what they're looking for, uh, uh, you know, from that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as like cardio training goes, but, you know, really the, I did a webinar yesterday on it. Like people, uh, can, can check it out. I'm, I'm trying to do more to illuminate this concept, but the, uh, the idea of the four, um, quadrants of tension, again, another quadrant that I like, but that's, <laughs> you know, that's, a, a the, again, the, when people understand 
what are the tension demands? Because like at, at its heart, like the the four cardio quadrants that I just talked about are, are like, well, what are the tension demands behind the movement? Okay, you got to pedal or you got to ride your bike. Great. But what's the specific tension? Is this a multi-movement or, or mono-movement? Is this a high tension or low tension? Like we can more specifically dial in the tension demands because at the heart of it, tension is what creates movement, right? If you have no tension, you have no movement. Would you agree? Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like you, it, we, we, movement is great and focusing on that is great, but really it's tension fuels the movement. So what are the specific tension demands behind the movement? And that's what allows us to make smarter training decisions and, and, you know, things that are more sustainable. But is when we get in the gym, you see that overall there, again, there's four tension skills that the body has to create. And this is, you know, again, there's two, two spectrums, continuums, whatever you want to call them that you, you, uh, you know, use to, to come up with this. And the first is what is the speed of the movement? Cause the speed of the movement is going to make a big difference, right? So like at one end you have dynamic, like right? you're, you're moving as fast as you can. So think about like a vertical jump, that would be a dynamic explosive movement. And at the other end of the spectrum, you would have isometric where you're creating tension, but you're not moving at all. Mm-hmm. And so between those two extremes, you're, everything else is going to land somewhere in there. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you have got your kind of fast twitch movements, your jerky movements, and then the isometrics is working against pushing against something solid or that kind of idea. Yeah. Like you're literally, you're creating tension without actually moving. So you would be like pushing into something that won't move or, you know, like, uh, or, or holding something like just doing a bodyweight squat and and getting down to the bottom of a bodyweight squat and trying to hold that for a minute, minute and a half. Like that would be a good example of an isometric, uh, um, exercise or movement. If, you know, isometric movement's a little bit of an oxymoron. I understand that, but I still say that sometimes, <laughs> but, but you know, that's, uh, you know, you just holding that position, you're creating tension to hold that position, but you're not creating any movement. So that's what makes it isometric. So anything where you're creating tension, but you're not creating movement. So if you think about it, you know, like, you know, what is core training? Core training is basically training your body to movement right you want to create this platform to move around because if you don't have a strong platform you can't be strong on the bike and that's why everybody loves core training but core training is really a form of isometric training if you're doing it right Mm -hmm. and and so like you know isometrics are really valuable like we we use them some but you know they're 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 like planks that's another form of an isometric but the my example is like if you look at like a a vertical jump where you're jumping or like a box jump where you jump up on a box and then you look at holding a bodyweight squat for a minute, minute and a half. Those are the, the same movement, right? It's a squat pattern. You could say we're, we're working the squat pattern with those, with those exercises, right? Mm-hmm. But they deliver different results based on the speed. I mean, would you, you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're bound to really, huh? because yeah. yeah. I mean, it just makes sense logically. The science backs this up as well. Like if anybody digs into the science, you'll see the isometric training and, and dynamic movement-based training do produce different results in the body. Uh, but it just makes sense on a logical you know, set level, right? And so so we got to look at the speed. And then finally, you got to look at like uh, 
the the load itself is it like a compression based or leverage based and, and the easiest way to think about this is compression based strength is like gym boy strength right like the load is in close to you the load's even you know really you're not having to stabilize a lot like you just have to overcome the compression of the weight and gravity to mm-hmm. Lift the weight off of the ground. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have leverage-based strength. And this is like farm boy strength. So think about like a farm boy slinging bales of hay and picking up bales of hay versus like, you know, gym boy in there doing like, you know, deadlifts and maybe power cleans and stuff or whatever. But, you know, the the old joke is like, man, if if these two guys got in a scrap, farm boy versus gym boy, who would you put your money on? It would have to be farm boy. He's a scrapper. Yeah, I mean he's gonna be he's gonna be functionally <laughs> stronger. If you're starting a, a a rugby team or whatever, right? Like, what are you? Who are you gonna pick? Farm boy or gym boy? Like the guy who only works out in the gym, or the guy that's never been in a gym but's worked on a farm his whole life? Yeah, like I have a friend who's similar to that, and he's never been to the gym in his life, and he is a strong fella. Yeah. You know, like I would not like to get on a grappling contest with him because he would have more joints popped in me than enough, you know? <laughs> he, he, <Yeah. laughs> he's just got raw strength, natural strength, as we kind of call it around where, where I'm from, you know? Yeah, yeah. And what that really is, is leverage-based strength. Like strength mm. is, con- like you get him in the gym and he's not strong. You know, he's not going to be weak, but he's not going to be like the strongest guy in the gym. But then you have him like doing something where he's having to like grab somebody or like, you know, use his strength in like what we, we what we would call a more functional way. And when you look at it, a lot of it really comes down to like him having to stabilize something and then exert strength while stabilizing it. And, you know, that that natural strength is what, uh, you know, you build just through like doing your job. You know, people that, that do a job repetitively, right? Like they uh, uh, they, they just naturally kind of get stronger at it. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the point is, is that, again, it's not the same thing. And you can see it in real life that having this leverage-based load where the weight's out away from you, it's uneven. So like picking up a rock or a, a bale of hay or like a sandbag even versus doing like a Smith machine deadlift, right? Like a, a Smith machine where you've got a barbell and it's got those two... Mm-hmm either side so you don't even have to stabilize the weight right you just have to pick it up and down like that would be a really good example of a compression based load like a leg press right there's no stabilization at all going on it's just can you press that weight Mm -hmm. up right and so these are two different things to to work on you know with the body and so when you when you look at that you see again like there's these tension creation skills and so the, the big gaps that people have in their program is isometric. Like people don't do really enough like targeted isometrics. And then also like leverage-based loading where you're using um, – and, and really like there's leverage-based training tools. Things like the steel mace um, and heavy Indian clubs are, are, are you know leverage-based training tools that you can use to inject some leverage – base loading into your program. And when you look at what we do on the bike, we use a lot of that leverage based strength. I mean, that's why like we've got, uh, you know, the, um, I think most people's handlebars are way too wide in general, but that's why we have wider bars than road riders do because like we have to deal a lot more with these leverage based loads that are, that the trail is exerting on us and that we're having to use uh, but the, 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 you know, the point is like we use a lot of this leverage based strength 
on our bikes, but then you look at our programs and we're using a lot of compression-based loads and, and exercises to try to get stronger. And again, there's a gap there that people can, can help fill in. But, um, you know, again, like the, the thing that I like about the using the leverage-based loading and the isometrics is, is that that falls in with the sustainability thing because isometrics are super safe. They're very easy on the joints because you're not loading the joints directly and you're not running force through the joints. And, you know, they, they, uh, they let you build high levels of tension safely, right? So as you get stronger, we were just talking about it. It's easy to get hurt in the gym, right? You get in there and as you get stronger, you know, you're just naturally, you're putting more wear and tear on your body. And so mm -hmm. like if you're doing deadlifts and you're trying to get stronger with your deadlifts, well, you know, traditionally you're going to try to lift more weight or do more reps. And eventually when you get to where you're lifting, you know, 200, 250, 300 pounds, the, the odds of getting hurt become higher. Like, I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, because you're going to, you're going to keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself and something's going to have to give at some stage. And it will probably be if you're doing deadlifts, either your knees or your lower back, I would think. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but how do you continue to work on getting stronger safely as you're, as you're like putting weight, get, you know, put, be able to lift more weight with the deadlift. And that's where isometrics come in because they allow you to create really high levels of tension. Cause the whole idea behind lifting more weight is creating more tension in the body. We just, you know, talked earlier about how without tension, there is no movement. Mm -hmm. So your body has to create more tension and do it more efficiently in order to lift more weight or do more reps. Like that's really what you're trying to get the body to do is create more tension and do it more efficiently. And so you can do that with isometrics and, but you do it in a way where you're not loading the body directly. So you can create these high levels of tension and you can have your body be, you know, so, you know, doing something where you start out, you know, in a position like, you know, uh, you know, again, a, a good example is like a, uh, um, you know, you were talking about like pressing into a door, like a, a wall mm -hmm. or something. And so you can do that and, and you can ramp up, uh, 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 the Steve Maxwell called these ramping isometrics. So first you start out with just like 50% effort, you know, maybe like 20, 30 seconds and you're just getting your breathing, your posture, getting yourself, you're, you're feeling it where you want to feel it, not where you don't, right. You don't want to feel it in the neck. You want to feel that upper back engaged, feel the core engaged and, you know, feeling the, those pressing muscles, pressing into the wall and then after you get that set you know 20 30 seconds you ramp up to 80 percent and that's this is where it's starting to get hard so you're pushing hard into the wall but you're maintaining that good breathing and posture right so you're training your body to create a higher level of tension while maintaining optimal breathing and posture and then finally for like you know five to ten seconds you go everything you've got like you're literally trying to move that wall you go 100 percent you know max effort max tension into the wall and you're able to build really high levels of tension in those pressing muscles, uh, but you're, you're, the odds of you getting hurt doing it are, it's not great, right? Because you warmed up basically with the 50 and the 80%. And so as long as you maintain your breathing and your posture and you keep the tension where it's supposed to be, you can maintain, you can build super high levels of tension without exposing your body to the same injury risk that you would like if you were lifting weights, you would have to do like a, you know, one to three rep max to try to stimulate that same super high level of tension in the body. 
Mm-hmm. And we know that that comes with its own risks, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you can do that. And the other thing is you can do the, for the, you can do a hold, which is the other side of it. And so you can do like a push up hold, like just get in the bottom of a push up position and hold that for, again, like for most people, like holding that for like 30, 45 seconds is super tough. But, you know, even people that can do like push ups, you find like isometrics are different. They're working something different. But, you know, get to where you can hold that for a minute, minute and a half. And again, you know, good breathing, good tension where you want it. And that's going to help your body improve its recruitment pattern. And again, you would have to do a lot of reps. Like you would have to do like, you know, your 12, 15 and multiple sets of that to try to fatigue the body in the same way to force it to start getting more efficient at how it's, it's creating the movement as it fatigues, it, it, you know, it, it create, it makes it become more efficient. So again, isometrics are w- using these two methods, the ramping isometric and the, the timed holds, you're able to target your strength, uh, in a much safer, sus- more sustainable way, especially as we get older. And then, you know, you can use still, you know, still do deadlifts, man, you like doing deadlifts, do deadlifts, but guess what you don't have to do? You don't have to do heavy deadlifts because you're not trying to get stronger with them. You're just practicing deadlifts. And so you're, you're, you improve your skills at like, you know, the 60 to 80 percent effort. Like that's pretty well researched in almost every field. You're going to find that that's harder than that. You're not really learning anything. You're, you're just applying what you already know and surviving. Mm-hmm. So you naturally have to keep your loads and your intensities a little bit lower if you're using deadlifts as a movement skill which is what we should be doing, right? Like if you're using deadlifts as a movement skill, they're very safe. If you're using deadlifts to get stronger, they get sketchy. Mm-hmm. So use isometrics to get stronger and use deadlifts to practice the movement skill. And, you know, you're, you're getting the best of both worlds. And so, uh, but yeah, like in, and then, you know, so understanding the isometrics and also the leverage-based loading is it's, you put a, it's a lot less weight. Like, you know, if you grab like a 10, 15 pound mace, I mean, it feels like a substantially heavier kettlebell or even dumbbell. And so, you know, like it's still, it's only 10 to 15 pounds. And so the leverage loading that it's putting on your body, again, is different than the the high load compression-based loading that your more traditional stuff like kettlebells and dumbbells and, and barbells put on the body. And so by incorporating more of that and, and, you know, cutting back on the compression-based loading stuff, again, it's more sustainable, it's, it's easier on the joints, and it's, uh, you know, again, just kind of, you know, falls in with the whole idea of, like, what can I do, you know, to improve my performance, not just tomorrow, but, you know, for a lifetime doing this. So the, the leverage-based loading and the, the isometrics um, have really been, like, a cornerstone for, like, that sustainable training part of it uh you know for the writing for a lifetime concept mm. and you would advise then james doing doing a bit of both working a bit of both into your gym routine as such yeah no i would i would uh advise people um try to work on both and and you know the isometrics are the easiest one i mean like i said you can do lunge holds squats uh you know push-ups um chin-up holds you know people can get Isometric, you know, it, it, you can get creative with the stuff you have around, or it's it's real easy to, you know, get like bands and a and a simple strap like a jujitsu belt, or mm-hmm. or you know something to uh, to 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 even do more with that. But the the isometrics are something I think that 
um, everyone should start incorporating because that's a huge gap in most people's programs. Yeah. And then, you know, the leverage based loading and, and stuff is, uh, like I said, it's really like exploring some different, um, you know, training tools and then also just some kind of different ways to use things. So things like, you know, front raises and side raises. It's funny. I started to realize like, you know, those got poo pooed on as bodybuilding exercises. Like those aren't functional, right? Like mm-hmm. those are just to like try and build the, the, you know, isolate the muscles in your delt, bro. And we all know you can't isolate muscles. And so it's, you know, so we didn't do them. But then I start to realize like, oh, those are leverage based loads. Like those are actually really important for us to do. And you look back throughout the history of strongmen and they would, uh, the front hold and the side hold were contested lifts that they would compete with against each other. And, and like there were world records for, you know, holding different implements and stuff like that. So it actually has a, a history uh, with training. It just got, you know, some things got thrown out. The ba- Some of the baby got thrown out with the bathwater when we started trying to clean house of bodybuilding and get quote unquote functional training going. Mm. And, uh, I, I honestly, I think like things like, you know, uh, curls, you know, standing curls, man, that's a good, you know, uh, it's not just working the biceps, like it's cre- teaching the body how to create an isometric platform, you know, while you're moving around it and, mm. you know, doing front raises and side raises are, are good for the leverage based loading. So, you know, there's some movements that, uh, you know, like I said, got got lumped in with bodybuilding that we're actually working some of these different elements that people can easily add in uh, to what they're doing and start, you know, the isometrics and do some front raises and side raises. And, mm-hmm. and you'll start to see some some you'll you'll notice this is different. Like this is not this is working something different than what I have been doing. And then just get curious with it and keep exploring it because it is a little frustrating at first because it's a skill that you don't have. And so you're really weak with your leverage based stuff and you're, you're, you don't really understand how to hold yourself and create tension, right? Doing isometrics. And so it's really easy to quit because it's frustrating. But if you realize that, man, this is really a skill, it's like being on the trail and realizing you don't know how to do a front wheel lift. And then just, you know, getting frustrated and just not learning how to do it and trying to get through on the trail without knowing how to do a front wheel lift. Like, can you do it? Yeah. Is it optimal? No. So, you know, if we have the same kind of curiosity and, and uh, you know, mindset towards these tension skills uh, that we do with like our, our riding skills and, uh, you know, people will understand why it's important to persevere through the, the initial frustration to get to the good stuff on the other side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just so people know, um, if they're interested in the isometric stuff, um, you have a new course out, you have a new online course, Atomic Strength Isometric Training Program for MPB. Yeah. Yep. Um, you sent that to me and I've been going through it. Um, the thing I like about that is you can do that in your bedroom, you can do it in your living room, you don't need weights. It's super no. easy. I'm I'm using a beach towel. That's what I'm yeah. using. Yeah. You know, and it's pretty cool. Um, and it is very different to anything I've really done before. But, um, you know, I, I definitely see how it can help on the bike. I really do see how it can transfer to the bike. It makes sense. It makes sense after you do it and then you realize how it kind of yeah. works. You know, yeah. so people can get that off your website if they're interested in that, because the isometric thing will be 
something new to a lot of people, you know. Uh, yeah. So they can find that on your site. Yeah, yeah. No, the Atomic Strength Training Program, they can yeah, go to bikejames.com and either do a search for it. It's one of the training programs there. Uh, but yeah, no, that one's been a culmination and it's, it's, it's a training system that I, you know, it's, it's elements that I've learned from other places, but it is a unique training system. It's not like an adaptation of, of something for mountain biking. I actually, you know, you're not going to find exactly what I'm doing there anywhere else. Mm. Um, and so I think it's a pretty good training system for making, again, my goal with it was to make isometrics accessible and easy for the average rider to use because they're really effective, but they've been overcomplicated. They, they're just, you know, it's one of these things that people, they don't, they don't really understand how to use it and they don't, so then they don't use it and that's unfortunate. And so that was kind of the goal with that program. Um, but yeah, people can check it out on the, on the, the, at the bikejames.com site. But, um, yeah, no, that's, uh, uh, that's an easy way for people to incorporate it in their, their program as well. But like you said, you don't need any space. It's really, if you travel, it's really easy to take what you need for it. Traveling, which is practically nothing. Um, and, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it'll be good. And the good thing about it is I don't think I'll injure myself doing it. Right. E- See? Yeah. Even though I have injured myself doing yoga before, <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> just overstretching, you know, going that just too far. Movement-based training <laughs> carries it's carries risk. I mean that that that's it's not that risk is unacceptable, right? That's not it. It's just you have to understand that movement-based training carries a different risk than isometric-based training does. Mm-hmm. And so, smart you know, just smart application of both is going to help us um, in the long run, but, uh, but yeah, it's easy, man. You can hurt yourself doing, doing a lot of things, but isometrics, you, you really kind of have to try to mm-hmm. hurt yourself doing them. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're glad you're enjoying them. You're yeah, going to yeah, do, cool. do them for a few weeks, man. You'll, you'll definitely feel the difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, and let's chat a little bit about sustainable riding strategies there. Yeah. So, yeah. so how, what would you advise for that? Cause Again, that will be something, you know, you go out and ride your bike. You don't really think about the the sustainability or different strategies, really. Right, yeah. Most people don't understand that their riding time is the most valuable training time that they have. And then, but this, for a lot of people, as soon as you attach the word training to their rides, they're like, oh, you're trying to take all the fun out of it or, or whatever. Or, or, you know, it, it's it's like, no, that's not, that's not it. Like, your, your rides are the most valuable like that's the most sport specific training possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like people talk about sport specific and it's like, man, your bike rides are the most sport specific training that you can possibly do. So how do you use them effectively? Like, you know, uh, uh, people have a couple of different strategies. You know, one is like, they just go out and they ride hard all the time. Right. And it's like, well, if every ride's hard, none of your rides are actually hard because hard is relative to something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all, okay. all your rides are really just kind of moderate and you just don't realize it. So, that, but you know, they just go out and they ride as hard as they can every time. And they're, you know, you're, they're always tired and fatigued. And so they're not actually able to ride hard, like hit their actual own hundred percent. Um, or you have the people who go out and they just, you know, they ride for fun and they don't really have any focus, you know, they're just out just kind of riding and it's, it's just kind of mindless. 
which, you know, it has its place here and there, but it, all the time isn't necessarily it. So you kind of have these two extremes with people and neither one is really the best and neither one's like, you know, I guess it's sustainable, but it's not going to be, you know, for me, sustainability also in, in, incorporates fun and feeling like I'm continuing to progress and continuing to develop some mastery of what I'm doing. Like, you know, you're just not going to stick with something the same way that you do with something that you feel like I'm, you know, I have a way to continue to progress and continue to develop mastery of this in different ways, even as, you know, that may change over time, but I have a way to continue to do it. And so, uh, and again, like research backs that up, like that you're, you're, uh, much more likely to, you know, be passionate about something and, and, and stick with it if you Mm -hmm. feel that you're developing that mastery with it. So how do you do that? And so, the, uh, the, the basic idea is that you want to, um, have hard, moderate and easy days when you train. And we touched on this earlier, like this is how the pros do it. And this is how everybody should do it, um, as well. And for your average rider, like they have one hard ride in them a week, like really for the older rider who's, you know, starts getting your forties and fifties and and beyond, you're probably looking at like 10 to 14 days for you to put down a truly hard effort, like, like a hundred percent. And again, most people don't really know what the hell that is because they're, they're just like fatigued and, and you know, it's, it's not the, the, the same, uh, for them. But like, these are the days, like if, man, if you're going to put, go for a Strava time or PR or something like that, like this is supposed to be the day, like it, like it's, uh, you know, that kind of effort. Uh, if you're sim, if you're training for a race, like where you'd be trying to like simulate a race effort, um, you know, it would be that kind of, of effort. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, if people think about like your race effort versus like your average ride effort, like it's different, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that racing pushes you into a zone that you don't get on your average ride. And yeah, you can't like racing is different than the ride, but that's the idea is like, man, you should have rides where you're pushing yourself uh, you know, if you want to, you don't have to, that's, you know, really, but if you're, if you're really, if you're trying to improve from a, uh, uh, like a speed standpoint, I guess, or like performance standpoint, then you do have to, you know, push that edge every once in a while, uh, to, to really like give yourself like mental confidence. Like a lot of that stuff is just giving you the confidence that you can do it. It's not really like pushing your body physically in a way in some special way that, that makes it better. Uh, and so much of writing is psychological that people don't realize, um, you know, like VO two max is overblown. I don't know if people realize, but like it, as people get older, their VO two max drops off, but their performance continues to improve. So, you know, there, there's just like so much more to it, uh, than, uh, than, than just, you know, that, but anyways, the, so you have your hard rides and, and really the base of what you do is your moderate rides. And these are what I call like your, your skills focused rides. And this is where you pick something that you're going to work on. And it's just like, it's, you're running it in the, the, in your head as you're going. So it doesn't have to be like everything you're focused on the entire ride, but you know, if you're going to focus on your cornering, like you're really going to pay attention to like certain aspects of your cornering when you're cornering. And, you know, I like to call these rides the, like, how fast can I go while pedaling the least? Mm. And you're, you're really trying to use your skills to develop, uh, you know, or to, to keep momentum because that's the thing that we really forget is that it's, we want momentum, right? So pedaling is one way to create 
momentum, uh, create and sustain momentum, but it's not the only way. Like you can use your technical skills. Like someone who knows how to corner properly is going to lose less momentum in the corner and then have to pedal less to get back up to speed when it comes out of it than someone who Mm -hmm. doesn't. And so your efficiency is another way of developing those momentum skills that you need on the bike. And so it's like having those rides where you're focused on, you know, doing that. And, and those are what I, I, you know, call them, you know, have as the moderate rides, because you really shouldn't be pushing that, you know, the hundred percent while you're doing that. You're just out cruising, having fun, but you're, you're, you, you have something that you're focused on while you're doing it. And again, the overall goal is like, man, how, how fast can I go while pedaling the least? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah. And then, you know, with the light rides and, and stuff like that's the thing with mountain biking is that, uh, it's hard to have a light ride. Like the trail just demands a certain amount out of you. And again, like you may live in an area and you may have a loop where like, it, it truly is just like, you know, an easy cruise and that's great. Um, I don't happen to live there. But, you know, so <laughs> the, the, the thing for me and the thing that I actually advise a lot of riders to do is get out and go for like a, a walk or like an easy jog. And, and again, this is the thing that ties back into the, the sustainability thing is like, like you're a human who rides a bike. And so like you need to walk, you need to run, your body needs these things, it, it, your brain needs these things and they are different than riding your bike. Like riding a bike is great, it's, I love it, it's fun, but it's not the same thing. And so like I really encourage riders to, to, to get off the bike and have an easy day where they just go for a walk or like an easy jog. And again, I, I, I say that like an easy jog, a good way to tell is nose breathing like if you get to the point where you're having to really just like breathe through your mouth, like you're starting to go anaerobic and that's getting out of like quote unquote easy. And so if you're going to go for a jog, like make sure that you're focused on like, you know, breathing through your nose and using that as an indicator that you're keeping things easy rather than letting your easy jog turn into a hard run uh, that is is not uh, what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man. So the, but, but getting off and, and, and doing, uh, you know, some walking or easy jogging for the light days and then just kind of getting that pattern, uh, going is, is that's, what's going to be sustainable for, uh, for most riders and, you know, on the, uh, so yeah. So does that make sense with that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you would kind of work that into your weekly routine. So you would do one of each kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, if it, it all depends on how often you ride. So, like, if you ride, you know, uh, you, I, I mean, I don't know how many times a week do you ride before at, all this craziness? <laughs> at, at the minute, none. Um, but that's due to a shoulder injury. Uh, but yeah, it would have been two times a week, maybe three if I was lucky. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing two to three times a week, I would say like you're going to be doing a hard ride every other week. And your other rides are going to be moderate and, you know, so you're going to have two moderates one week and then the next week you're going to have a hard and a moderate. And again, man, like hard is like relative to your energy level as well. Like that's the other thing. Like I really encourage riders to try to use RPE more than, uh, you know, like your rate of perceived exertion rather than like external numbers. Um, because you know, external numbers, uh, you know, the, they can mislead you. I guess. And so like how hard you're working, like if you didn't get a good night's sleep, like a hard ride, like what I'd say, like, don't go for it. Right. Like just do another moderate. Like, I don't know people, I, 
people get get uh, really skill is what is going to get you. It's not your cardio, right? Like skill is what makes you a fast, competent rider. And so like those moderate rides where you're working on your skill, like those are the things that are really making you good and fast. Like who, who do you, who's more impressive? The rider who's riding real fast, but he looks like his hair's on fire or the rider who's riding fast and he looks like he's half asleep. Hi. Yeah. It's kind of, it reminds me when I go out with my riding buddy Cohen back home and I seem to be pedaling twice as hard as he is. And he seems to be going really slow. But his technique is much better than mine. And if you look at times, they're basically the same. Yeah. You know, but yet he looks a lot slower than me, but he's not. He's just smoother or something. I don't know. Um, and when, yeah, I'm following, when I'm following him down the trails to see what he's doing different from what I'm doing, the breaking points are very different. You know, I obviously break too heavy, get into corners, and then lose all my speed, whereas he's flowing through corners and gaining speed and momentum when he comes out of corners, whereas I have lost it there and then have to tramp on the pedals. It's so different, but, you know, he comes out, he comes out, I come out sweaty and out of breath, and he comes out just, you know, ready to go for another one. <laughs> It's a different, yeah, it's a different, uh, a different way of, of achieving the same goal, but the one that's more sustainable, like your ability to pedal, that's going to, that's going to go away. You know what I mean? Like that's going to decrease. Like that's the thing that's putting a lot of wear and tear on the body. And you actually, if you look at the fastest riders, this, this actually goes for road as well as mountain biking. It's consistently the riders who pedal the least. And so it's that, that ability to apply the efficient movement and skill that, that really matters. And so, you know, for me, I, when I work with a rider, I try to figure out like, you know, what do you, where are you at? What do you want? Right. And so if I have someone who's like, ah, I just, I'm pushing it to 10 all the time. Ah, I was like, look, dude, I'll give you one hard ride, like maybe every week or two. Okay. That's mm-hmm. what you get, man. If I meet someone who's just like, man, I'm just, you know, I like to go out and ride and, and I'm just, you know, I got a couple kids and I just like to, you know, play with them. And I just want to be able to do this. And it's like, listen, dude, go out, focus on these moderate skills, focused rides. Dude, if you're feeling it one day and you want to like push it and you want to go and you're like, oh, dude, yeah, I want to get it today. Get it. Have fun. Right. Mm-hmm. But don't go out. Like I, you don't, you don't need a hard, like now if working with you, I find out that you're doing this every time and you're turning everything into a hard ride, I will put a schedule on you. But like for most people, to to focus on like the 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 moderate like kind of the the you know skills focused rides and and man, when you're feeling like man I feel like going hard today and and that's gonna happen you know maybe uh, you know two three times a month um and you want to do it great like have fun but uh, like for your for most people that's what's gonna be sustainable because again like if you have it on your schedule to go for a hard ride and the night before your, you know, water heater broke and blah, 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 blah. You know, <laughs> what's, what's, how hard, how good is that ride going to be? Mm-hmm, okay. And so yeah. it's like, it, it, and that, that's more of a strategy that pros use because they can control so many other aspects of their life to focus on training. Whereas like for your average rider, they need a little bit more flexibility. And that's really kind of where that flexibility comes in. But, you know, the take home message is, you're not going out and trying to ride hard every time, but you are having some sort of focus when you go out and ride. It's not just an unfocused, just like cruise. 
And again, if you want to do that every once in a while, that's fine too. But like, if you make the bulk of your rides, like 80% of your rides, these, you know, moderate skills focused rides, like that's sustainable. And you're actually going to find that your performance is going to improve, uh, as you know, those rides, like you're, you're going to get faster on those rides you know, and mm-hmm. you can't help but get better at them. If you do them for a year, you can't help but get better. And you're going to be faster than you were on, on what you used to call your, your easy, like 80%, you know, your moderate ride, maybe approaching what was you considered your hard ride. Mm-hmm. You go, well, well, then what's your hard ride going to be? It ain't going to be the same, right? But you did that without pushing your hard rides. So if you raise your 80%, you're going to raise your 100% without having to push your 100%. But, you know, like I said, some people need the hundred percent psychologically. So you gotta, you gotta work that in, um, or, but that's the more of the point, how you kind of help kind of, kind of work that in for the average rider. Yeah. Because I would think if you're, if you're pushing a hundred percent or you're pushing as hard as you can every time and your skill level can't deal with that level of speed or whatever, you're still going to work for you anyway. You're going to make too many mistakes. You're going to run, you know, off too many trails. You're going to overshoot corners. You're going to do all this. You know, your skill level, I suppose, has to be at a certain level before you can actually start pushing harder. Does that yeah, make sense? No, it totally makes sense. But again, like this is one of the things that people don't realize is that when you're riding with a really good rider, like a, a pro rider, and, you know, you feel like your hair's on fire and they're just cruising – like they're not better at suffering than you, right? Like they're not at a hundred percent and they're just like cool as a cucumber because they're good at suffering and, and you're not. No, they're like 80%, bro. Like that's not that hard for them, right? They're like their 80% is your hundred percent. So the answer is not for you to learn how to like ride faster with your hair on fire. It's how how do you ride faster, like, you know, at that 80%. And like, that's what, what is ultimately going to help raise your, your overall skill. But yeah, like you said, like you, you develop bad habits and this is why you see a lot of riders who, you know, they're able to out pedal bad, uh, technical skills. They're able to out fitness their lack of technique and, but that's not sustainable, right? Like mm-hmm. that, the 20 something early 30 something year olds game. Uh, like that's not something that we can play as older riders. And so, you know, you got to focus on the game that you can win. And that's like being the smoothest, most efficient old fart on the trail. <laughs> yeah. Very nice, a nice title to have, but maybe not. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't care, but yeah, you get the point. <laughs> um, so what about efficient movement on and off the bike then? Uh, We've touched on that, I'm sure, a wee bit through that, but what would you advise for that? Yeah. Yeah, no, and this is actually kind of, the a lot of the efficient movement on and off the bike intermingles with the first two. Mm-hmm. You know, it really kind of ties it together and fills in some of the gaps, but you're going to see some of the the overlap with that. But like, you know, the the it's really looking at, and this is at the heart of, of everything that I do, um, you know, MTB street training systems, pedaling innovations, all of that, you know, comes from this, which is looking at how does the human body optimally move? And then how do we apply that to the bike? And it sounds logical, but when you really look at like how we've arrived at a lot of the stuff to, that the cycling industry has arrived at, that is not the thought process that they went through to arrive at it. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of things out there, both from a equipment standpoint, from a technique standpoint, 
that are actually contradictory to optimal human movement off the bike. You would never move that way off of the bike in any other sport, in the gym, in any other context. Would you move the way that they tell us to try to move on the bike sometimes? Mm. And so, uh, and that, that right there is one of the number one reasons that cyclists have such a high rate of overuse injury. I mean, it's up there with like runners. I mean, it's like, you know, one, one study I came across, it was like 80% or something like that of, of riders have had some sort of overuse injury, uh, in their career. And so it's, like I said, it's, it's rampant. Most people have, uh, you know, know, know what I'm talking about, or they're, they're suffering from something right now. That it's like, yeah, you go on a ride and it's like, man, it either starts hurting on the ride or after the ride, you can feel it or whatever it is. Um, and a lot of those things are from inefficient movement being applied to riding on the bike. And uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's really kind of the, the idea behind it. But, um, you know, the, the main thing that I advise riders to do is to stand up and get the butt off the seat because you cannot apply efficient human movement to the bike when you're sitting down. The bike, the body is just not made to move while you're sitting on something. And mm -hmm. so the, um, getting people to stand up, especially when they're trying to climb is, uh, one of the things that they can do that's going to make a huge impact on how they feel during and after rides. And especially when it comes to like their knees and their low back, uh, and, and how those are being affected from riding. And so if you're, if you're trying to sit and spin and like just stay in the adult fetal position, uh, and, 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 you know, grind yourself, grind your way up climbs, uh, you're, you're in this bad posture, you know, you're, you're hunched over you're not getting as full hip extension, like your body's in a bad position right there and you're running a lot of tension through it. And that tension, you know, your body starts to cement that in as stiffness and it's, it's not healthy. It is just so not healthy. Like, and so once you stand up, so many good things start to happen for you, uh, from a, just a functional movement standpoint, you know, it's your knees, like no matter how good a bike fit you have, you're never going to get full extension with the knees. Right. Mm -hmm. As soon as you stand up, you're getting full knee extension. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. your knees are getting full knee extension. Plus, this is something that a lot of people don't realize is that you're 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 you need the pressure from standing up. Like when you're walking or running and your knee gets to full extension, the pressure actually triggers a co-contraction between the quad and the hamstring that stabilizes the knee joint. So if you don't have that pressure, you're not stabilizing the knee joint at the bottom of the pedal stroke like you're supposed to. And you're, you're running force through it, trying to finish the, the pedal stroke off with an unstabilized knee joint. It's mm -hmm. not good for it, right? So, so, the, uh, you're, um, so anyways, like, you know, you're getting your better hip extension, you're getting your, uh, you know, your, your, your chest open and your spine straight it's from like a functional movement standpoint standing up is just such a better thing to do and so uh what i advise riders to do is it goes back to kind of that high tension low tension cardio concept that when you're in low tension mode you can sit down it's fine like you're not running enough tension through the system to damage it and, and cause problems it's when you go to high tension mode that you you're starting to cause problems and so you need to stand up when you get into high tension mode and so that is, you know, usually during climbs, it's definitely during like trying to maneuver through technical sections and things like that. And so getting 
standing up and letting the body move more naturally is, uh, it, it makes a huge impact on, on how you feel and, uh, just how sustainable this is going to be for your body. Like your mind may want to do this for a lifetime, but your knees and low back may have a different <laughs> idea and mm-hmm. it don't matter how many bike fits you do. Like you can't polish that turd to make it, you know, what it ain't and mm-hmm. seated pedaling is a turd. Like it is a terrible position for your body to be in. So you need to avoid it. Um, but unfortunately we have this myth about needing to sit down to keep weight, uh, on the back tire in order to, uh, you know, keep traction for climbs, which is completely untrue. Cause one, we've all seen people climb standing up, right? We've seen mm-hmm. it with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. You've seen yeah, it, right? Yeah. 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 You, I'm sure you've probably done it. I'm sure you've probably stood up and climbed some stuff. Yeah, so, it's it's one of those things, and it's a bad habit I've had. But I've heard you talk about this before, um, and I watched your video on it about the position of your body to create pressure on the bike tire rather than weight as such when you're standing up. Um, weight's fine. <laughs> weight pressure is weight used actively. Mm-hmm. That's that's the difference, right? So weight, but you need weight to create pressure, but they're not the same thing. And that's where we get a little confused. But again, you do need pressure, you know, weight on your hands is fine because you do have to create pressure through your hands to create pressure through the front tire. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just clarifying some of the the terms there. Yeah, no, that's cool because I, I was trying, and that is something I'm going to do more of when I go back because the standing up thing, it's just, and you know, the other thing is as well, James, it's easier to, it feels easier to sit down and go up those technical climbs. If you're not used to standing up and climbing, it's going to be tough. And yeah, you it's know, tough for me to sit down. It feels like <laughs> hell to sit down. Like it's way more comfortable, comfortable for me. So I'm just saying that like, and I'm not different, right? I just train myself to get comfortable with standing up. So I'm just, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, it will happen. It can't yeah. happen. Yeah. And you have to do it to be good at it, you know? Yes. Yep. But I think, again, if most riders understand that you're actually tearing your body apart, you're putting so much bad stress on your body when you are sitting down and grinding up a climb that hopefully like that idea will get them to at least start, 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 get them to at least start thinking about standing up more uh, when they're riding their bikes. And it's really like, you know, it's when you're standing up, like that is your best position on the bike. Like if I was to bet you, you know, a hundred bucks, uh, you know, the, how fast can you ride down the block there? Are you going to do it seated or standing? Yeah, no, you're going to do it standing for sure. Yeah. That's where you create the most power. If you have to apply your technical skills, cornering, manualing, jumping, doing drops, all these things, are you going to do it sitting down or are you just standing up? Oh no, you have to stand. Okay, so standing up is like your high-performance position. It's your most powerful pedaling position. It's where you execute all of your skills. You can't execute any skills with your butt on the seat except for seated pedaling. That's the only skill you can execute. There's no other skills you can execute with your butt on the seat. You have to be able to move your hips to execute any other skill on your bike. And so that is your actually like your best position to go to. And and so you can use that, you know, in, in so many different ways. Uh, even when it's easy standing up and using it to, you know, my buddy in Hawaii used to call it free speed. 
you know, there's free speed all over the trail if you know where to look for it. And so if you can like, you know, you know, pump the backside of this little thing and hit this corner, you know, clean here and, you know, maybe uh, manual over this rock instead of just riding over it. You know, these little things add up to extra momentum, which is is free speed. But you can only do those things if you're standing up. And so, you know, instead of sitting down and just pedaling through everything, you can stand up and execute skills and get the free speed from it as well. But it's a, uh, you know, there's just so many advantages to standing up. But like I said, man, it comes down to a lot of people. It's they've trained themselves to feel more comfortable sitting down. And a lot of it came from the myth about the needing to create weight on the back tire by sitting yes. down. Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, like that, that it's what you want, actually, like I, the example I, I give to people to understand pressure is if you stand on a scale and it says that you, you know, weigh 80 kilos or, you know, whatever it is. And then you, you don't jump off of it, but you get light and then you press hard down with your feet into the, into the scale and you make it move. Mm-hmm. Right. You, mm-hmm. Can you visualize what I'm saying? Yeah. You can increase and, the weight by yes. pressing down onto it. Yeah. You still weigh 80 kilos. So yeah. what was that? That's pressure. That's you using your 80 kilos actively. And so you have to have weight to create pressure, but they're not the same thing. And so again, this goes back to like, you know, just having weight on your hands isn't what you want. You need active pressure through your hands, but telling people don't put weight on your hands gets people scared to put weight, any weight on their hands, which makes it impossible to apply pressure through your hands. And so you, you know, it actually creates bad habits in people, not like people not understanding the difference between weight and pressure and seeing someone just putting, you know, dead weight into their bars versus active pressure into their bars and giving bad advice to like, you know, ooh, light hands, heavy feet. Like that's where that comes from. And it's not, it's not accurate. It actually leads to a lot of bad habits that, that riders have. And one of them is they're afraid to stand up to pedal because you have to put weight on your hands to stand up. But we've been told that putting weight on your hands is the devil. So, mm. you know, that's the other thing. Like you think you need to, you know, keep your butt on your seat for traction and putting weight on your hands is the devil. And so we get stuck in this like seated, uh, you know, position that is really tough to pedal from, puts a lot of stress and wear and tear on the body, is impossible to execute skills effectively from. Like you have to shift your weight forward and back in order to maneuver your bike properly. And if you shift your weight forward, you're going to put weight on your hands. And so if you're always riding around without any weight on your hands, like you're not using your weight effectively to maneuver your bike. Mm. And so, yeah, anyways, it's, uh, it's really kind of crazy when you realize like what, uh, you know, this misunderstanding that people have, but you know, with the, with the rear tire, it's the same thing. You don't want weight on the rear tire. Cause think about it. If it was weight, you wanted the heaviest guys would have the easiest time climbing. They'd never break traction. That's not mm. what happens, right? No. <laughs> No, too much weight becomes a problem. Yeah. So again, yeah. like like saying that you need weight, we all just say it, but we all know that it's not true, right? It doesn't it only takes a couple questions for us to go like, well, it's not really weight. Okay, well, what is it? It's pressure. And it's not just pressure, it's a pressure to weight ratio. The more pressure that you can create through your back tire and the less weight that you have on the back tire, the more traction you're gonna get. And so, again, if you watch effective standing climbers, you see them shifting their weight forward and back in order to create traction and then get light to get over stuff and then create traction. And so it's the it's it's their ability to use their weight actively to create pressure 
into their back tire. Now, it's just a coincidence that where their hips have to be to create that pressure is around the same place that they would be when you're sitting down. So, but that's a coincidence and it's an unfortunate coincidence that, that that's why, you know, again, like your hips do have to be there around that area, but that you don't have to be sitting down, right? Like mm-hmm. you can shift your hips back there while you're climbing in order to create that pressure without having your, your butt. And this is, again, man, this is why, like, I don't own a, a single pair of padded shorts either. This is because it, when you're not jamming, you're not creating a wedge, right? You're like, when you're on your bike, you're trying to create a wedge between your feet. And when you're standing up, you're creating the wedge between your feet and your hands, right? That's the two pressure points. As soon as you sit down, you create a pressure point between your feet and your crotch. Mm. And so you're using your crotch as part of a wedge to, to push down into your pedals. Like it, your crotch doesn't like that. And so again, <laughs> there's a whole, there's a whole industry around trying to help your crotch enjoy this process better, but you know what it really enjoys not being cr- like jammed into the seat as part of the wedge. And so if you, if you get the seat down and you create the pressure between your feet and your hands, again, you're taking that, that, that pressure off of your, you know, tender bits. And again, that that's good. So when you stand up from your lower back, like your lower back, your knees and your crotch all start cheering for you. They're all like, yay, you know, and you just have to like, it's, if, if I, again, I hope this motivates people to understand like, oh, this is why I need to get better at standing climbing. It's not really a choice. Like I can't sustain this over the long run. Seated pedaling is going to break my body down and I am not going to be able to continue to enjoy riding and perform at a good level over the long run. So, I mean, we all know people that have been riding for a long time that have like, you know, bad knees and bad low back and all this. And it's like I said at the beginning, over a long enough timeline, man, this stuff will get you. When you first start riding, you may not notice it. You try to ride for 10 years, it's going to add up. You try to ride for 20, 30 years, like it's going to get painful. So, mm-hmm. uh, so anyways, but that's kind of, you know, at the, at the heart of it is, is learning how to apply that efficient movement. And, you know, again, like standing up more, uh, understanding how to apply pressure through the feet and hands effectively, uh, is part of that because again, that's just, that's how the body moves, um, and how it interacts with its environment is through, you know, applying pressure through its hands and and feet. And so that's, you know, uh, again, one of the reasons I think that handlebars get too wide is because it actually starts to affect your ability to apply pressure effectively into the handlebars, uh, and, and stuff. And so the idea behind the catalyst pedal is you're able to apply pressure through your foot into the pedal better with that design than you can a standard pedal. And so like your, your hand and foot pressure and your ability to apply those things effectively and efficiently into the bike, um, uh, you know, or, or kind of at the heart of everything that you do, uh, on it. Mm-hmm. And like at the end of the day, if the people take these concepts on board and they start riding like this and taking your advice, their skill level is going to go up. Their riding level is going to go up. They're going to enjoy their rides better. It's, it's better all around. Yeah, no, man, totally. And like I said, if you, if you take the approach, like I'm trying to do this for a lifetime. Okay. I can just, I take a deep breath okay, I don't have to try and like, you know, improve my performance in six weeks. I'm Mm -hmm. looking past that. So what can we do? And yeah, man, I think that it's, uh, we get caught up, man. We're, you know, we're 40 something, uh, some people, you know, a lot of people older than that, 
uh, trying to ride in a 20-year-old pro's world. And, (laughs) you know, it gets confusing. And so, like, once we just kind of take a deep breath and realize, like, we live in a different world than they do, we have a different goal than they do, and that there are sustainable and enjoyable ways to go about riding our bike that we can do uh, for as long as we choose to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and are you going to be doing more stuff on this riding for a lifetime concept in the near future, James? Yeah, no, I, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm pretty pumped on it. It's it's something I'm I'm really glad that other riders are, are so interested in because it's definitely something I'm interested in. And so, uh, you know, I, I had a camp that I was supposed to do uh, coming up in a in a week or so that I had to, excuse me, postpone, uh, unfortunately, due to the whole coronavirus thing. But I do have one in September that I have uh, have planned, and then I am looking at trying to do some more stuff online, uh, you know, some some online workshops and, and camps and things just to kind of give riders the chance that they can't come here and work with me personally, the chance to, uh, you know, learn some of these concepts. But, uh, yeah, this is really going to be a, a central theme for me and MTB Strength Training Systems moving forward. Uh, I mean, just personally, I, I don't really have any interest in working with the the 20 year old uh pro rider it just the the working helping the you know 40 50 60 year old uh rider who's trying to uh, like i said just have fun doing this and and be able to uh have fun on and off the trail and, and feel good doing it uh you know those that is way more interesting to me uh right now and so i'm, I'm definitely going to be doing a lot more uh, on this and really a lot of the stuff that I'm putting out now are, are, you know, like the whole isometric programs in that vein. Like, yeah, can it help the 20 something year old pro? Oh yeah. Am I trying to convince that dude to do it? No. Like he's got years of, of mistakes until he cares what I have to say. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, but there's a lot of us that have made years of mistakes and are interested in, in other ways. So that's, that's kind of what I'm going to try to do is illuminate some of these things for, for other riders. Yeah. Cool, man. And you have got, a wealth of information online. Your bikejames.com website is full of stuff. You have loads of YouTube videos out there all free. You have a number of training programs that people can get involved with. Um, so where, where can people best find find out more information? Because we went over a lot there this evening. That's a lot to take in, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's 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 a uh, it's a big idea. It's a definitely a big concept, and you know, people that are interested in learning more about that, uh, the, the really the best thing to do is go to bikejames.com and sign up for my email newsletter. Um, I will send you a free workout. Uh, you know, I've got weekly training tips that I send out, both about training and riding, and you know, just all sorts of different things. Um, so I try to make it a, a valuable resource uh, for riders. But that's really the best way to keep up with what's going on. I mean, you know, I'm on the the social media. I'm on, you know, Facebook. Uh, it's actually MTB Strength Training Systems. Um, that's the official name of the company. But I got tired way back in the day. People used to go, MTV, you train people to be on reality shows. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> MTB, like mountain bikes. And so finally, I'm just like, you know what? It's Bike James. Like, oh, your name's James. You like to ride bikes. Like, yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's actually on Facebook at MTB Strength Training Systems um, and also MTB Strength Training Systems on Instagram. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely way more active. Uh, I have my own personal feelings about social media 
And uh, I'm always, uh, you know, I don't like um, promoting other people's platforms. So I, I try to do a lot through my newsletter and blog uh, to, to help people out. So, and I just, I know too, like a lot of people I know really aren't into like Facebook and Instagram. Um, and so, uh, you know, I try to make my stuff accessible for people that don't necessarily want to have to go wade through the cesspool that mm. is uh, social media. So yeah, bikejames.com, sign up for the newsletter. That is by far the best way to, uh, to start getting involved with what, uh, with what I'm doing. Yeah. And you have loads of free content on there on your website, which is awesome, man. It's very, very good. Um, and certainly I done your ultimate MTB training program. I done that before I broke my collarbone. Um, and it was really good, man. I was really, really into that. That was, that was great. Um, and now with yeah, the thanks. isometrics thing, you could do that in between days, you know, that kind of way. So that would work perfect. Yeah, that's exactly kind of how I have it set up. I mean, I will, I will say that over the next, uh, you know, year or two, I'm, I'm probably not probably, I am going to be retooling, um, pretty much all of my programs, incorporating more of the isometric stuff in it. But even within like the ultimate, like you, you, I don't know uh, if you remember, but I was starting to unknowingly dabble into these isometric stuff because I'd have us hold like, you know, for a certain count at the top of chin ups mm -hmm, or hold right, for yeah. a certain count at the bottom of squats. And I, and I mentioned in it, like, don't just hold, like get tight. This is an isometric hold that you're doing. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was starting to kind of dabble around and with the, the isometrics a little bit, um, when I wrote that program, just kind of unknowingly. And so, yeah, the really good way to, to incorporate the, the atomic strength training program is to, um, you know, do a day or two of that and incorporate that with your movement based workouts, uh, which would be like the ultimate workout or, you know, that, and that's the cool thing with isometrics is that you can incorporate it into other stuff. You don't have to commit fully to that. Like the ultimate MTB workout program, it'd be really hard for someone to do that. Plus keep going to their CrossFit gym and, and doing workouts mm. there, you know? And so, but you can do this with the isometrics. It's easy for you to just add in a couple days of the isometrics because they don't, they don't take much time. They don't take a lot of energy. They don't leave mm -hmm. you sore and beat up. And so you can easily incorporate these into another training program that you're doing uh, or, you know, workout uh, system or whatever that you're following. And so, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the idea. Uh, how you can incorporate those things yeah no it's cool because you don't need to go to a gym to do it you can just get up in the morning do it before your breakfast or whatever um, i'm doing the quick start one at the minute and i also do your warm-up and then your decompression thing and i think in total it takes about 20 minutes or something um, yeah so it's awesome man it's really it's really fast it's good yeah, it sounds like an infomercial, and I'm like, do you want to improve your writing in only two 20-minute workouts a week? It's like, dude, in this day and age of clickbait and stuff, like I almost vomit my mouth a little bit saying it, but it's true. It, it, like it is, you know, really, if I hadn't experienced it and helped other riders with it, like I wouldn't say it, but it does sound cheesy, um, but it is quick, and it does not take a lot of time, and you do start to see the results. But, uh, yeah, I'm really, you know, pumped. Like, like I said, like isometrics are uh, – it's, it's interesting when you look back, they have a long history, like, you know, as long as people have been training, they've been using isometrics to help them get stronger and fitter. And it really wasn't until bodybuilding hit. And, you know, when you look body, like isometrics don't improve muscle mass very effectively. Like that's one of the things they don't do. But that's great for us as, as mountain bikers, because if we can improve our strength without putting on extra weight, that improves our strength to weight ratio, which is the mm. holy grail. 
But if you have a sport that the whole thing is building muscle and you have a training method that doesn't build muscle very well, guess what you're not going to focus on? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that little dark period that we went through, you know, that's where like the kettlebell got forgotten about, you know, a lot of great things got forgotten about during the, those, you know, that, that, that dark age where we all thought, you know, strength training is bodybuilding and bodybuilding is strength training. And, uh, so like, just like the kettlebell, I think isometrics are one of these, these training methods that we're going to rediscover and realize like, wow, this is, this is really powerful. And, and it's unfortunate that it got, you know, uh, kind of forgotten about, but, um, yeah, I think that, that more people are going to start getting into it. Yeah, for sure, man. No, I mean, I'm excited and it's even good to do something different and something new, um, you know, breaks things up as well. So it's good. I think it works in, in all different, all different ways, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's good. And like, you know, the, uh, like it improves your high tension cardio. I mean, man, you're trying to hold like a 90 second, uh, hold and your body's under this high tension and like, you got to breathe, you know, you can't mm-hmm. hold your breath for 90 seconds. So like you're breathing, like your, your body's has to fuel that high level tension. So, uh, yeah, I remember that was one of the things and one of the studies I found is it actually improved your, the, uh, the enzymes that metabolize or the aerobic, yeah, the, the metabolize oxygen in the cell. So basically helps your cells utilize oxygen more efficiently. And they were kind of surprised to find that, right? Like you're studying isometric training and you don't think you're going to find some benefits when it comes to aerobic metabolism, but, uh, that's, that's actually what they found. So, um, wow. the, it, do, it does actually improve your cardio. Uh, as well as your strength um, in, a, in, in some uh, pretty direct and indirect ways. Mm. Yeah, no, I could see that because when you're under tension like that, it's quite difficult to breathe almost. You know, you have to concentrate on your breath, at least I do, yeah. um, to make sure that I'm keeping my posture and I'm breathing properly. And I suppose then when you're under tension like that on the bike as well, then you're naturally going to be breathing and you're not going to just hold your breath you're going to exactly because you're training to do that you know exactly yeah yeah no that's exactly it man that is you know a lot of riders suffer from they don't they're when they get into high tension cardio you see it their posture goes to shit they're trying to hold their breath uh and and that just burns energy way faster and so, uh, yeah, so that, that is one of the, I guess, kind of the indirect side effects is it, you know, the, you're training your brain. Like that's one of the things that you, people, again, that we don't think about it, like tension. Well, where does tension come from? Tension comes from the brain, right? The brain creates the tension and the tension creates the movement. And so we always, you know, think about, uh, you know, what does the brain see? Cause that's what we're training it to do. And so if you're using isometrics and you're training the brain to see, oh, when we get under high tension, hard efforts, we stay strong. We keep our breathing going. We keep our posture. Okay. That's what it's going to do on the trail. But if you don't train that and you're just unconsciously going on the trail and you get into the bad breathing and bad, that's what you're training the brain. The brain goes, oh, Every time it gets hard, this is what I do. I break down. I start to <laughs> hunch my shoulders and hold my breath. Okay, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And you start to reinforce that and train that. And so isometrics are a really good way to train the brain to, to maintain breathing and posture under the highest tension uh, levels that your body can experience. And that, that definitely has a transfer over to the trail. So yeah, besides like the direct uh, effects that it has on the body. It also has those indirect effects on the brain, 
um, to just kind of train it that this is what we do. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. I'm glad you've come out with it. I, I really am. I think it'll be it'll be great for a lot of people for sure. And you know, it's something that people can do, as we say, quickly if they don't have much time and all. So it, it just suits a lot of people. I think it's it's good. Yeah, yeah, no. The the way that Steve Maxwell explained it to me is the the skill of creating tension is one thing, and the skill of applying that tension to a movement is another thing. And mm. that was really kind of my light bulb moment as I realized, like, oh, we've been using movement to try to train the skill of creating tension. You know, again, we're trying to put more weight on the deadlift, which is a movement, because I'm trying to create more tension or become more efficient with how I'm creating that tension. That's a tension skill. And so, you know, like the, uh, um, yeah, like just you're, so the way that he explained is that really, if you're really crunched for time and, and you have to, you could do just isometrics and, you know, for him it's doing jujitsu, but for us it would be riding our bikes, Mm -hmm. right? Like you move on your bike. I talked about that earlier. Like that's the most sport specific training you can do. The most sport specific movement you can do is actually ride your bike. And so if you're using isometrics to train your skills of creating tension and then you're riding your bike to teach the body how to apply that tension to the movements that you want it to, I mean, that's a, that, you know, you've, you, you've got the basics covered. And then if you want to add in some other movement-based training or, or things like that, then that's great. But it's, uh, it, you know, just those two things right there complete the formula, which is work on your skills of creating tension and then have a way to teach the body how to apply that tension to the movements you want it to, to apply it to. And again, this is why you see guys who are strong outside of the gym, like their body's really good at applying tension to these movements. You know, you get them in the gym and you tell them to do some exercise that they're not real familiar with. And it's not familiar with, with how to apply the, the those tension skills to that movement. Um, you know, you'll see that difference, but it's, uh, you know, again, this is, you know, why we need to focus on riding the bike. Like the numbers in the gym, you know, are somewhat related, but really, man, the more you can ride your bike, the better. And so having your training, uh, set up in a way where it, it, it maximizes your time and energy to do that, um, really helps kind of reinforce that, especially as we get older and we've got less time and energy, uh, then, you know, something like that really helps, um, us keep that strength training side going while, while being able to focus on riding our bikes as well. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you just want to go out on your bike and have fun and enjoy yourself. That's what I like to go. I, you know, there's some riders out there. I, I think they like to go out there because they hate themselves and they're just trying to punish <laughs> themselves and they just look very unhappy. And and it's just you know, it's like, hey, bro, that's fine. Um, but uh, no, for me and and the the riders that I know and hang around, a lot of riders that I you know communicate with online, like that's that's our goal. And that's it's really funny, man. It's something that. You know, the industry itself, like most people don't realize, like, I, like the industry is really uh, out of touch with the average rider and what the average rider really wants and, and is really interested in. Like, they all think that we give two craps about, you know, who's racing in the World Cup. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. I know people do, but the average rider doesn't. You know, like the average rider is not buying a product because there's some rider sponsors. He don't even know who they are. Right. And so it's uh, like, yeah, man, like we just want to go out and have fun and we're not interested in, in all of this, you know, uh, you know, industry nonsense. And so uh, so, yeah, like just trying to, you know, touch base with and, and uh, you know, uh, find those riders and talk to them um, is, is really what I try to do. But, uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, that's really, really what it should be about is just getting out and having fun on your bike. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. 
that's a good way to end it, bro. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on again. Um, I, I always do enjoy chatting with you because you're just a wealth of knowledge and you have so much experience there. And what I like, you have experience with all the pro, pro guys. And so you've seen it from all angles. So you really understand it and you really understand what works for just the normal guy. So um, I appreciate everything you do, bro, on that side of things. It really is cool. No, I appreciate that uh, as well, man. It's, it's good to know that, that people are getting something from it. I mean, way back in the day when I started MTB Strength Training Systems, it was like, man, you know, I, I wish something like this was around for me. So I, I'm, I wonder if any other riders are interested in this as well. So it's, it's been really great to connect with riders like yourself uh, you know, through this journey. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that and helping riders is what I try to do. And so, yeah, hopefully we're able to, uh, do that, do that for a few riders with this podcast. Cool, bud. Cool. And, uh, here you haven't managed to get Louie out in a bike yet. No, no, man, him and Deborah are just too into running. I'd have to like catch up <laughs> with them somewhere on a 50 mile run and try and talk them into it. So, uh, yeah, no, we're, I'm lucky if I can get them in here to the gym and choke them out every once in a while. I but, don't. uh, yeah. <laughs> Classic. Well, once, once their knees start to go and stuff through the run and then you can get them on bikes. Huh? There you go. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Although again, trying to keep up with Deborah's tough. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> good stuff well james thanks so much man have have a good evening and i hope uh i hope 2020 gets going well for you and uh everything starts to smooth out a bit there for you yeah man i no, appreciate that you as well and uh yeah everybody listening you know stay safe and well and um but yeah check out bikejames.com i got some stuff there to keep you entertained if you're uh if you're stuck at home <laughs> cool man thanks so much yeah anytime That's a wrap for episode 143, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. A lot of information in that episode. You may want to go back and listen to some bits later on just to get your head around it. But it was an awesome episode. And as I say, go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com. Search for James's episode and listen to James's podcast on that. There's a link at the bottom of the show notes. And uh, check it out. It's an awesome podcast. I really did enjoy it. And as I say, I've listened to it twice now, maybe three times actually, um, because there is a lot of info in there. So it's really, really good. Now, James, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, bro. I do appreciate everything you do for the mountain bike community and coming on the show for your third time. Um, So thanks so much for that. And I hope 2020 goes well for you and everything goes well with the online packages you're doing and stuff like that and folks if you want to know more about what james does how he can help you just go to bikejames.com and you'll get all the information there and uh, all his packages and stuff to get you going on the right foot so if you're enjoying the show the best way to help and support is by subscribing rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts every one of your ratings helps boost us on apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people Now, if you're not on Apple, don't worry, you can find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean and all the other good platforms out there where you may listen to your podcasts from. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show. You can also get involved on socials. We are at MTV Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. 
And please take screenshots, help share the show, and uh, get the word out to more people. Let's get people off the sofas, get them on the saddles over this incoming summer, and let's hit the trails together and make this community as awesome as it always is. So thanks so much for being here, folks, this week. I do appreciate it. And with things calming down a little bit in the COVID scenario, I hope you're getting out the trails and I hope you're enjoying yourself. So stay safe out there, help each other, and as always, stay MTV stoked.